Go with me to the book of Hebrews. We, we have been... Thank you for that excitement. No, it's good to be excited. Amen. When we... The, the, my most exciting time is in the Word. And I tell you, I honor God's Word. I, I respect God. And that's one thing that I've been... By the grace of God, I've been pounding in this place. The Word of God is ultimate. Nothing like God's Word. The Bible says God has even exalted His Word above His name. So if God Himself has exalted His Word above His name, guess what we must do? We must approach the Word with respect. That's why I emphasize the need to, to look in the Word when we read the Word. I emphasize the need to, to sit and listen and let the Word of God speak to you. Many people are wondering why they don't hear the voice of God when it comes to those private matters of their lives. When it comes to those things that nobody can actually give you direction for. But only God can. I mean, if you know that there are things that no one can give you direction for. Only God can direct you. The Bible says, the Bible says that honor the Lord, right? And when you honor Him, He will direct thy path. God wants to direct your path. And it is God alone that directs your path. The Bible says that uh, 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 he, he will lead us by His Spirit. Is that correct? He will lead you. He will direct you. The, the steps of a good man are ordered by his friend, by his father, by his mom. No, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So there are things no one can give you direction for. And, and people wonder why they don't get direction for their lives. The reason is because they have no respect for the word. Uh, that's not my message, but I just want to throw this one out for free. And I'm telling you, the moment you begin to respect and honor God's word, because God does nothing outside the confines of his word. God himself is obligated to obey his word. And I've noticed that God never tells you to do anything that he hasn't done. God will not tell you to go where he's not gone. God will not tell you to do what he hasn't done. Whatever God tells you to do, God has done. Come on now, say amen. amen. Because you, you know, even in a, in a human relationship, people follow those who have done something. People don't follow you if you're going nowhere. If you're going nowhere, guess what? Nobody's going to follow you. Nobody wants to follow a man that's not accomplishing anything. Nobody wants to hang out with a dummy. Sorry, I apologize for using that word, but I've used it. No, really, in all honesty, nobody wants to follow a man or a woman who is going nowhere. Because if you're going nowhere, guess what? You're taking the person to nowhere. God did it, therefore he tells us to do it. Praise God. So, honor God's word daily. When you sit in church and they say, open your Bible, open it. And read. So, go with me to Hebrews chapter 6. For, for weeks now, and I'm, I'm going to round up this series. Because I started doing a series which I felt impressed on my heart by the Holy Spirit. To do a series on growing up spiritually. There is need to grow up. I've used the natural to explain the spiritual. As a parent, I expect. Everyone say, I expect. 
It's an expectation of every parent for their child to grow up. You don't want your child at the age of 15 still sucking on his thumb. You don't want your child at the age of 15 still using a pacifier. Something is wrong if a child at 15 is still sucking on mama. Some of you get that tomorrow. <laughs> Honestly. Sometimes you see kids. Five. They're still sucking. I gave the, I gave the example. My wife and I were watching Wildlife. That's one of my favorite channels, actually. We were watching Wildlife. And uh, this baby uh, cheetah. The cheetah's cub. While mama was lying down, this cheetah cub, cub was two years of age, and, uh, and he, he or she, whatever gender, <laughs> tried to suck on mama. You know what the mama cheetah did? She kicked him away. <laughs> no, enough. You're not sucking anymore. You're old enough to eat meat. And some people are like that cheetah cub, old enough to eat meat, but they are still sucking on milk. Paul said, I fed you milk, but you can't digest it. You should be feeding on meat and solid food at this stage of your life, at this stage of your Christianity. But no, you're still sucking on milk. It means you're not growing. That's why you study the book of 1 Corinthians. You discover that this was a church that operated in the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. But I need to submit to you that operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit does not mean you are mature. Because spiritual maturity is not measured by operating in the gifts. You can speak with tongues, you can prophesy, you can lay hands on the sick and they recover, you can, you can, you can perform miracles. That is not the yardstick. Because the church at Corinth had all these things, yet they had fightings among themselves. Brother was suing brother to court. A young man in the congregation was sleeping with his father's wife. And nobody said anything about it. Nobody touched it. Nobody, even the leadership had no spine to deal with it. And Paul heard it and Paul rebuked the entire church. How dare you? A young man in the congregation doing that and nobody said nothing. Listen to me. The next time you get together, my spirit will be with you. Give that man to the devil. And let the devil torment his flesh. Perhaps his spirit will be saved. Are you listening now? The fight in the church was terrible. Strife. Quarrels. Divisions. Party spirit. I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. I belong to Peter. I belong to Jesus. The church was so messed up, it was split into four different divisions. And that's what you see in the modern day church, unfortunately. I'm Pentecostal. I'm charismatic. I'm automatic. <laughs> I'm this, I'm that. 
And then you come over to, sorry to use the African church as a point of reference, but let me do that. You come over to the African church. In a place like Nigeria, the Igbos. Oh, the, the pastor is Igbo, everyone is Igbo. The pastor is Yoruba, everyone is Yoruba. You come over to the West, the pastor is Congolese, everyone is Congolese. Uh, French church, there is no terminology like French church. Turkish church, there is nothing like Turkish church. African church, there is nothing like Af The church is the body of Christ. And in the body, the Bible says, we therefore see no man after the flesh. Your blood is red. And no, I'm not talking about your natural blood. I'm talking about the blood of Jesus. The blood that washed you was the same blood that washed me. Wash the brown man, wash the white man, wash the green man, wash the whatever color that you have in the natural has nothing to do with this. In Jesus, we are one. One body, one head. Can someone shout praise the Lord? Praise the Lord. We, we've got to see things like God sees them. We don't have to look like men sees. God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts. Higher than your thoughts. What does that mean? Does that mean we have to still think like the way we think? No, God is saying, come up higher. Think like me. See like me. Have my perception. Come on now, say amen. amen. No division. Tell three people, no division. Some of you did not even say it. But I'm not surprised. Some people will say nothing no matter what I tell them. Growing up spiritually. God requires. Like a natural parent. Requires that his children grow up. God our spiritual father. The Bible calls him the father of spirits. He that is born of the flesh. Is flesh. But he that is born of the spirit is spirit. So he is the father of spirits. We as born again believers were all birthed by God. And our father requires, he demands that we grow up. We stop acting like babies. We stop sucking on our thumb. We stop using the pacifier. We stop, nah, 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 nah. we stop all of that. We grow up, we mature, we stop letting strife come into our lives and I, I won't greet you, I won't talk to you, you said this about me. No, if they said something about you, go to them and talk to them face to face and ask them what they said about you and reconcile, make peace. No, I won't. You don't know what they said. That's a baby acting. Then you go to the kids' church, you see them fighting over one toy. In actual fact, you, we don't have one toy. We have many toys, but there is one. No, no this is my own. This is, no, this is my toy. All of them fight. They're, hey, baby, there, there are more toys. No, no, this one. That's the way it is with baby Christians. Tell someone it's time to grow up. Oh, my God, you didn't say it like you mean it. Tell someone it's time to grow up 
It's time to stop sucking on your thumb. It's time to stop using a pacifier. It's time to mature in God. It's time to be a man of God, a woman of God. It's time to take on responsibility. And I told you the key to growth is responsibility. Any child that takes on responsibility grows. Any believer that takes on responsibility grows. Don't make excuses for your sin. If you sin, go to God and say, I did. Don't say, the woman you gave me made me do it. No, oh yeah. You take responsibility. And when you take responsibility, guess what? You're saying, Lord, I'm responsible for what I've done. I'm responsible for this. And I repent. And look, not my friend, not my wife, not my husband, not the church. No, it's me. Take responsibility. Responsibility is one of the, the key to growth. I have noticed those who take responsibility, watch the church. Those who take responsibility within the church, they grow. Those who don't take responsibility, they come on Sunday. Before you say, you say God bless you, go. They, they sneak out of, of the door. They are always in a hurry to leave. They never go to anybody to ask them how they did last week. It's always about them. They live in their own circle. They live in their own world. No responsibility over anybody. What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You don't just come to church and sit down. Pastor preached for me. And pastor finished preaching when he says, God bless you. When I say God bless you, I don't mean go home. You need to go out and find out how your brother and sister is faring. Ask them, how was last week? Some of you don't care. That's why nobody cares about you. And you complain when nobody visits you. You complain when nobody calls you. You complain when nobody knows what you're going through. Yeah, he that wants a friend must first be friendly. You don't know, you don't know nothing about anybody in the church. You are not responsible. God requires become responsible. You are the last coming. You are the first to zoom out. <laughs> you're coming at one you're waiting for me to bring the word. I bring the word. I finish. And then you hit the road. You, it's all about yourself. You're self-centered. Self-centered people are selfish. Break out of that today in Jesus' name. What? Literally, I did this to a brother. I, I, I've watched him for a while. Every, God bless you. Boom. He, I, I went. I stood at the door. I just stood there. I know he will be running. I said, no, you're not leaving. Go. Look. Look at people. Look at your brothers. Go and shake hands with them. I thought someone would give Jesus a praise for that. Responsibility. Spiritual growth. Take responsibility for your own life. First. That's why I gave you five keys last week. Your personal prayer life. Yes, it is simple. It is the most discussed, talked about topic in the church. Prayer, but it is the least done. For somebody gets born again, what do we say to them the first day of salvation? Pray. But do you know that the least attended meeting in the church is prayer meeting. But prayer is the powerhouse of the church. Prayer is the powerhouse of the believer. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. 
Men ought always, not sometimes, always pray without ceasing. It is the least attended service in every church. Well, I'll say in most churches. I don't want to say every church. In prayer meeting, you have one-fifth of the, con- sometimes one-tenth of the congregation attend. They leave prayer for some people, intercessors. But you know, you, you started the entire Bible, there is no word like an intercessor. Have you noticed that? No word like intercessor. Have you noticed that? There's nothing like an intercessor. Nobody is called into the ministry of interceding. It's not a ministry. Every believer should pray. It is not exclusive to some people. Especially old people who you think have gotten. No, really. In some churches, prayer is left for old people. Who most people in the church think they've got nothing to do. Especially old women. They are your intercessors. Yes, there is intercessory prayer. But every believer should be involved in intercessory prayer. For we know not how to pray as we ought to pray. But the Holy Ghost. What does he do? Prays or intercedes on our behalf with groanings that cannot be uttered. Every believer should pray. It's not for exclusive, special group of people. It's not for your pastor alone and his staff. It's not for Bible school students only. Don't even get me started on that one with Bible school students. Because some Bible school students pray, prayed, not this ones. We have an amazing set of Bible school students this year. This academic year. Yeah. I'm so proud. I'm so proud of them. The hunger. My God, I was teaching yesterday. I'm teaching on biblical doctrine this session. Yesterday, my God, you could see the fire in their eyes. I finished teaching. They began to clap their hands. <laughs> to God be the glory. Amazing students. But I've seen students who signed up to come to Bible school. They felt they would come to the prayer meeting because it was an obligation. Prayer is not an obligation. If you know what I mean. It's necessity. It's necessity. It's not even a suggestion. It's a necessity. So some came, prayed Thursdays, prayed after Bible school. They don't come anymore. They graduated. Ask your neighbor, how often do you pray? (laughs) Hebrews 6, have you found it? I'm sure you did. Verses 1 and 2, therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, I emphasize that the whole, the whole, believe the whole time as I've been speaking along these lines. If you notice, it says elementary. What's? The word elementary, it means primary, it means basics. You want to study engineering in university, you can't just go to university to study electrical, electronics, mechanical, electronics, whatever, uh, construction engineering, uh, aerospace engineering, 
or you can't go study medicine until you have the rudiments of education. You get those basics in primary school. Come on now, say amen. amen. You did elementary science. You did introductory technology. You did basics. That one's the basics. You did basic arithmetic. You don't become a mathematician without doing basics. Right? So you had to do basics. Tell your neighbor, have you done basics? <laughs> oh, really? We understand this when it comes to my, my example with academics. We understand it. But we've got to understand that Paul, I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, even though we do not have the name of the writer. Many, many Bible scholars believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. I truly believe he wrote the book of Hebrews. Because some of the things I read in the book of Hebrews can point, point to, points to the way Saul, Paul wrote, uh, writes his books. But anyways, uh, let's not even get into the theology of that. But he's basically saying to us that if you would grow up and become a spiritual mature believer, you have to know these six basic things. I won't say six. These are six basic things that every believer needs to have at the tip of their fingers. This is important. Right? So, it said that these are principles of Christ. Let us go on to perfection. The word perfection, it's the word maturity. Not perfection as in not making mistakes, but perfection as in maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Uh, or dead formalism and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. These are all matters of which you should have been aware long, long ago. We looked at repentance from dead works. That's number one. If you haven't uh, been with us since I started this series, please go to our website. It's riveristanbul.com and you will find the series. I've already talked about re uh, repentance from dead works. I established the righteousness of Christ and we dealt with the righteousness of man. You don't go to heaven because you're a good person. Praise God. And all the stuff, religious things that people do, thinking that if they do these religious things, they'll gain God's favor. I remember when I gave my heart to Jesus, and I don't think I was taught, but you know, sometimes you learned because of observation. I just observed that when people prayed, they would bind the devil in the atmosphere first. And I did. It's what I call monkey see, monkey do. They would bind the demons in the atmosphere because if you didn't, it would stop your prayers from getting to God. And uh, it would stop the answer from arriving because whenever you prayed, your prayers fly to heaven. That's what I believed. And you would have to wait and the angel that delivers the answer would bring the answer. He would have to... He will have to fly through and come down to you. But if you didn't bind the demons, the angel wouldn't come. In actual fact, your prayer would not even get to God. I believed it. So every day, I knelt down to pray. First thing I did before worship, before even talking to God, I first bind demons. 
Every demon in the atmosphere, you get spiritual. I bind you. You won't stop my prayers from getting to God and you won't stop the answers from coming. In Jesus' name. I did for many years. One day, over 20 years ago, knelt down to pray. And I said, Satan, I bind you. I heard this small voice, still small voice, said to me in my spirit, you bound him yesterday, who loosed him? <laughs> when I heard that, I understood what God was saying. And the more you study, the more you discover, now we live in a new covenant. Don't we? Don't we? In him, we live and move and have our being. Christ in me. Where is he? Hope of glory. You have overcome them little children. For he that is in you is greater. Than he that's in the world. In the old covenant. The Bible says God spoke to Moses face to face. That one's a face to face. I think French was a fasa fasa. God spoke to Moses face to face. Like a man. Speaks with his friend. So if Moses. Under the old covenant. Had a face to face conversation with God. What do I have under the new? God's not way up there in heaven and waiting for my prayers to arrive. I live in him. I breathe in him. I eat in him. I talk in him. I have fellowship with him. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you now and forever. Oh, church service would close and people say, let's say the grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And people say religiously, but got no idea that when you say that, you are talking about the tangible, manifested, awesome presence of God with you 24-7. And you're rising up in your lying down, even when you're at breakfast table, God is there. God is with you Every moment. You just have to be aware of the presence of Almighty God. That's why you can even think a thought. And God will answer that thought. Because the Bible says he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. Amen. Even your thoughts. Even your thoughts are prayers. God hears your thoughts. And God answers your thoughts. So don't think you have to open your mouth all the time before God answers your prayer. In actual fact, sometimes we don't even say a word in prayer. We just go to God and we are quiet. Be still and know that I am God. God will begin to speak to you because prayer is not a one-way stream. Prayer is communion with God. You are speaking, but you are listening. He gave you one mouth and two ears. So speak less and listen more. That's the problem with people in prayer. They're always talking. God is saying, quiet, I want to talk to you. I've got something to say. The answer to your prayer is in the word of God. Stop talking. Listen. No, because see, the, human, the human is framed in such a way that if you don't talk, you feel... People begin to twitch. 
We have to talk. We have to talk. No, we don't have to talk. God wants to talk. I said, God wants to say something to you. Amen. Listen. He wants to speak to you. I do it. I just lay in bed. Lord, I'm in your presence. And I know you. I, I feel what you feel. I feel the pressure to talk. But I just have to lay there. Put my flesh under. Submit yourself under the mighty hand of God. I submit to him. I put my flesh. My flesh says, say something. No, I'm not saying nothing. It's not time to say nothing. It's time to be quiet. It's time to shut up. Put your hand over your mouth. Be quiet. Open your spiritual ears and hear the Lord. For he's got something to say. He's going to say to you, go there. He's going to say to you, do this. He's going to say to you, invest that. He's going to say to you, make that phone call. That is the answer to the prayer. You prayed for six months, no answer. Shut up. You prayed for one year, no answer. Shut. Do you think God didn't hear you one year ago? God, don't forget me. <laughs> I stopped binding. I stopped. No, I didn't say I stopped resisting. Resist the devil and he'll flee. When the enemy will, tries to come against me, I said, you, you're not coming. You, you're not touching me, my body. You're not touching my money. You're not touching my family. You're not touching my ministry. Satan, I bind you. That's when you bind the devil. Not your religious binding the devil every morning. You kneel down to pray thinking that you... you listen, t can I be honest with you? And I know it seems like I'm repeating myself, but it's okay because... They say people need to hear something eight times, in actual fact, 11 times, I'm sorry, 11 times before they get it. 11 times. And re repetition brings revelation. Listen to me. Sometimes the devil is not the devil. The devil is the person who is binding the devil. When you make those wrong decisions and choices, you do the things you're not supposed to do, and, and then you bind the devil. A man of God told the story. He said, Lord, show me the devil that's attacking my finance. The Lord said, okay, go, go stand in front of a mirror. <laughs> he went and stood in front of the mirror, and he saw the devil. You know, you know that, do you know that sometimes, and I, I'm not trying to be confrontational here, but honestly, sometimes you are, you are your enemy. You are your enemy. You, you are the one shooting yourself in the leg with a gun. You are your enemy. So some of the things pe people blame on the devil is really not the devil. The story of this pastor, preacher man. He saw a vision because he was crying. He was saying, Satan did Satan. And so he, God, God should, basically God showed him a vision. In his vision, he saw the devil. The devil was crying. <laughs> you don't believe me, huh? <laughs> the devil was crying. And the devil was saying, 
They blame me for everything they do. They blame me for everything. I, I'm not the one. I'm not the one. But they blame everything they do. They blame me. Don't we have churches today that's always binding the devil? The devil under the chair. The devil in the bedroom. The devil in the cupboard. The devil in the kitchen. The devil. You make wrong financial choice. You blame the devil. You, you invested the money. The devil had no business in your investment. You married that person. You knew. You walked into the marriage. You knew they were Jezebel. They're not here. I'm talking about the ones that... <laughs> they didn't come to church. You knew. You knew he was Ahab. You knew he had nothing. I heard the story of this, this girl. Christian girl. She would carry a Bible. On our way to church. But in the neighborhood there was this young man who was. You know. <laughs> talking to her. And uh, the Christian girl said to the man. After a while you know some men don't give up. Men are hunters. I don't know if you guys realize it. Men say amen. amen. I don't know if you understand that men are hunters. Men, when they get in the bush, they're looking for something to shoot down. They don't give up until they, they have something to take home to their family. Men are hunters. Men are gold getters. Men are resilient. Men won't give up until they get something to take home. Men want to put food on the table. And some want to satisfy their flesh. So this one, he, he wanted this girl badly. So he, he was talking to her constantly. And the girl said to him one day, look, I'm a Christian. And if you want to have anything to do with me, then you have to come to church. He, she gave the man the key. Ignorantly gave the man the key. Hunter. Next Sunday, he was a Christian. <laughs> Next Sunday, the man was a, he said, let's go to church. He, I kid you. The man began to go to church. He was very faithful, committed to the church. Serve, he, he was on fire. He was serving everywhere. <laughs> he was in the kids ministry. I'm adding my own story now. He was on the worship team. He was an usher. The first at the door. Welcome. God bless you. Here is your seat. This man was going to church. He, he became more fervent than the girl. Just he hunter. <laughs> he was going. Notice me, girl. Notice me, girl. And the girl noticed. This man's faithful. It took a while though. It took a while. It took probably, I believe, it took a year. Did not even bring up the matter anymore. Left her. But his rifle, his rifle was loaded. His gun was loaded. He's going to shoot soon. But let her position herself well. And, and one day, goes to her. My God. She was on cloud 20. Forget cloud 9. She was on cloud. She was head over heels in love. Fell in love with the guy. 
They got married Saturday, Sunday morning. Honey, let's go to church. <laughs> Turkish people will say, Almas. Almas. Higher, higher, higher. Higher, higher. No church. I came after you for a purpose. I came after you. I got you. We're done. Forget church. I'm not going. I'm teaching you something here. Some of you, some of you are my microphone. Some of you, some of you still go ahead with your missionary dating. That's what we call missionary dating. I will convert him. My question to you, are you the Holy Ghost? <laughs> you can't convert nobody. I thought someone was going to give a shout there. Amen. You can't convert nobody. You're not the Holy Ghost. I told the girls, bring him to me. Any guy come to bring him. I'll ask them 1,000 questions. <laughs> you scrutinize. You probe everything. Pastor, it's not your business. It is my business. Because you're coming here to... Actually, I'm sure someone's getting something from today. <laughs> okay, back to the subject. <laughs> we looked at faith toward God. I'm going to go into the details of that. We looked at that. We looked at doctrine of baptisms. In actual fact, we haven't looked at doctrine of baptisms. But le let's understand this. If you notice, there are three baptisms. If you read the word there in Hebrews 6, it says baptisms, not baptism. So we can see that it's plural, not singular. Because there are three kinds of baptisms. Everyone say three kinds. Yeah. Number one, there is a baptism into the body of Christ. That's when you gave your life to Jesus. You become a member of the body. In actual fact, the word baptizo, which is where we get the word baptize. It's a Greek word. Was not, if you do a study, was not uh, a religious terminology. It was a commercial terminology. Those that were in dying business used the word baptizo, the Greek word. What, what's baptizo? Baptizo means to dip a piece of white cloth into a, into a bowl of red dye. So it was dyers in the day that used the word. It was a commercial term. So you took a piece of white cloth. Now this is green. But let's just imagine it's a piece of white cloth. And you want to change the color to red. So you took your piece of white cloth. You took it to dyers. You paid them. And you tell them you want it changed to red. And they would take your piece of white cloth. And they'll dip it in a bowl of red dye. And they ask you to come back in a week's time. When you get back there in a week's time, your piece of white cloth is now a piece of red cloth. That's the word baptizo. So to baptize means to deep into. Everyone said to deep into. So when you gave your life to Christ, you were dipped into Christ. 
You became a member of the family of God. Born again. All things passed away and all things become new. Now you are in Christ. I want to say, I am in Christ. So we are in Christ when we are born again. But if you're not, you are not in Christ. You're out of Christ. You need to be in Christ. That's number one, baptism. Number two, baptism is baptism into water. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, John the Baptist tells us. Right? That's number one, number two, baptism. Baptism into water. And we had that some weeks ago or over a month or about two months ago. We had water baptism. We still do this. I don't want to get into the details because I'm not teaching water baptism today. Number three, baptism, we see, is a baptism into the Holy Spirit and fire. John said, I baptize with water unto repentance, but he that's coming after me is mightier than I am, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He, that's Jesus, will baptize you into the Holy Ghost and fire. So there's baptism into the Holy Ghost and fire. And we go over to Acts 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. And it filled all the house where they were in. And there appeared upon them cloven tongues like as of fire and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Can someone say Amen. So we see that all of them, 120 of them, were all filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. You come over to Acts chapter 10. It says in verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who went out doing good, healing all those who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. But then you keep reading in verse 44. It says, while Peter spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on everyone in the house. That's the baptism into the Holy Ghost and into fire. Can someone say praise the Lord? So everyone here needs to go through these three. The first is salvation, baptism into the body of Christ. The second is baptism into water. The third is baptism into the Holy Ghost and fire. And if you've not been filled with the Holy Ghost, I recommend you get it today. I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost three years after I became a Christian. I was taken to a full gospel businessmen's fellowship in Lagos, Nigeria. And I sat there and boom, the Holy Ghost fell on me. I began to speak with tongues for the first time. And since then, my life has never been the same again. I recommend that you receive the Holy Ghost today. Now, the next thing you see in the doctrines is laying on of hands. I want to say laying on of hands. Give me some more time. Let me finish out because this is the last message in this series. I want to say laying on of hands. Moses laid hands on Joshua to ordain him as his successor. Notice in Numbers 27 verse 18, you don't have to turn there, but listen. He said, and the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hand on him, my God. Lay your hand on him. Now, Moses did what God told him to do, right? So he took Joshua, and what did he do? Pardon, talk to me. Come on, guys. He laid his hand on Joshua. Now, that is Numbers 27. 
Go over to Deuteronomy. Don't turn there, but Deuteronomy chapter 34 verse 9. It says, now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands upon him. Are you seeing that? So what does that imply? It implies that when Moses laid his hands upon Joshua, there was a transference. There was a transfer. There is a transfer of wisdom. There is a transfer of the anointing. When hands that are anointed by God are laid upon you, something happens. Something is released. As we see here, Joshua received wisdom because Moses. So basically, it was Josh, Moses releasing what God gave him. Come on now, say amen. amen. And Joshua needed that. Jesus laid hands on little children to bless them. Matthew 19, 13 to 15. They brought him little children. The disciples got upset. If you read this, this account is in a few places in the Gospels. But they brought him little children in one account. I believe it's the book of Luke. The Bible says the disciples got upset. They said, take them away. Take the kids away. Don't stain Jesus' garment. Jesus is not, uh, no, Jesus rebuked the disciples. Don't do that. Suffer the little children to come to me. For of these is the kingdom of God. The Bible says, and Jesus laid his hands upon them and blessed them. Can I tell you, those kids, even though we don't have an account of any of them, but with all my heart, I believe the life of those kids were never the same. When Jesus lays his hands upon your children, my God. Never the same. Do you think, do you think there's anyone Jesus touched that remained the same? He laid a sense upon those kids and he blessed them. Praise God. Paul laid hands on Timothy to ordain him into ministry. 2 Timothy 1.6 laid a sense upon him to ordain him into ministry. Praise God. But Paul also writes to Timothy, listen to me carefully now, and he warned him. He said, do not lay hands on anyone suddenly. I want to say suddenly. Yeah. Now, this in context, it's speaking about laying hands on people to ordain them into the full-time ministry. Timothy did not become a, an ordained minister overnight. Paul raised him up. Paul checked him out. Paul mentored him. So that's the mess we see in the churches today. The guy, uh, uh, listen, my brother was telling me the story, my brother, my, brother, my, my brother lives in the UK, in London, he said to me, God will, when I came into this church, I wouldn't mention the name, so that you don't know I'm talking about this particular church. But he said, when I came into this church, he said, I told the pastor, the day you call me up in the congregation, 
that you're sending me to start a branch of the church, that day is the day I'll disobey you. He said, Pastor, I will respect you. I'll listen to you. But don't do ever do that to me. You just call, hey, brother, get up. You get up. Get up. You're starting a new branch of Ista River Istanbul. <laughs> he said to the pastor, the day you do that to me, that's the day I will disobey you. Don't ever do that to me. What is, what do we see in the church today? Half-baked pastors, never being trained. You go, you go sit with them and talk with them. You don't even want to live in their mind. <laughs> Ministry, see, I don't know how many percent, but people say 2% of ministry is preaching. But there are stuff we do in ministry that you don't know about. A man of God said, if Someone comes to me and asks me, they want to go into the ministry. What should I do? The man said, I'll tell them to go study business and marketing. He said, I won't tell them to go study theology. You laugh. There's a lot in ministry that requires common sense. <coughs> Not just standing and speaking and shouting. <coughs> do this. Do this with me. Yeah. Very important. You get on the plane, and the announcer, the announcer gets his microphone and says, we're about to take off from Istanbul to London Heathrow Airport. 214 passengers and crew. We have one pilot, and he's, a, he's still in training. <laughs> in actual fact, he has never flown an airplane before. <laughs> He's been practicing, but not real. <laughs> Get ready. Your lives are in his hands. <laughs> okay. All of you will run down. <laughs> you, will <emba> you will disembark. You, uh, I'm not flying. Who will fly? <laughs> you know why? You, got, you, you go to, you go to a, a surgeon, you, you want surgery carried out on you, whatever. Okay. And they say, this man is still in training. He's never cut anything. <laughs> Who will be lying on the operation table? <laughs> you want to build a house, your own dream house. They say this architect is going to draw you a plan. But he's never drawn anything. 
can't even draw his own shoes. He's going to draw your own dream house. <laughs> this building, building engineer has never built anything. It's going to build. It's going to, see, the bridge. See the Bosphorus bridge there. They're building another one now. Let me just, they want to build and they just called us. Uh, it's going to build the bridge. Who's going to drive across the bridge? This man never built anything. What am I saying? The world is smart. They don't put dummies in authority, in leadership. But the church don't care. We put every Tom, Dick, and Harry. Give them a big badge. Give them a big office. Because they can teach Sunday school. It's a shame when people do that. Yeah, I believe in raising people up. But it takes a while. God, give me double anointing. You know, the whole concept of double-fold anointing, I don't even know why people use that today in the New Covenant. I don't do double-fold anointing. Double-fold anointing, it's Elisha and Elijah. Why do you need double-fold when you can have the fullness? And when you do have the fullness? Why do you need double-fold? Give me double-fold. Double-fold or what? Now, even when we use the concept of a double-fold anointing, it's not something you can claim, you can lay claim to until you have served. God said to Elijah, go find Elijah, uh, said to Elijah, go find Elisha, and when you find him, take him as your assistant. He went, told Elisha, Elisha left everything, left his business, and from that day became Elijah's servant. What is the responsibility of a servant? Carry his bag, wash his clothes, iron them, bring him a glass of water, carry his Bible, run errands for him, take off of him the menial tasks. That he can focus on the ministry and the call and the vision. That was Elijah's job. Elisha's job. The day came, Elijah was, Elijah was to be taken by a whirlwind, by a chariot of fire. <laughs> Notice what Elisha said My father, my father. Notice he didn't call him my prophet, my prophet. Because initially he was his prophet. But as he served, he became his son. Then he could have a double fold. You serve nobody, but you want a double fold. You humble yourself to nobody, but you want a double fold. You can't draw from a ministry you don't honor. You can't draw from a ministry you don't serve. You can't. Hmm. 
Paul laid his hands on believers to receive the Holy Ghost. We can all do that. Believers are told to lay their hands on the sick and the sick will get well. Next is the resurrection of the dead. Pastor Erigo, he was our pastor, one of our pastors here. Ordained into full-time ministry. But went home to be with Jesus last week. You know, people, people believe, uh, believe, we preach about heaven, heaven, so much talk about heaven, 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 won't you like to go to heaven, 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 won't you like to go to heaven, I'm on my way to the glory land. We preach about heaven, but the streets are made of gold. You see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. You come face to face with the glory of God. But a believer dies, and we want to call them back. <laughs> if you go to heaven today, you will not want to come back. I kid you not. For me to leave, it's Christ. To die is gain. I'm in between opinions to stay or to go, but I would rather go. The only reason I stay is because I want to help you, Paul said. The death of a believer is precious in the sight of God. You don't lose because someone dies. It's victory. Oh, until you have a revelation of heaven, your perspective, how can I help you? Got no, if you got, you got no revelation of heaven, that's why you can say what you say. My wife had the same experience. Her sister died. We were in Nigeria in June. I saw her face to face. She was a mess. Cancer is terrible. We flew back and a couple of weeks after Because I came back before my family. But a couple of weeks after my family flew back, my sister-in-law passed on. She was a born-again believer. So my challenge now is how to comfort my wife. Because she did not want to hear any comfort. She believed the sister needs to come back. No closure. So I couldn't comfort her. That was a very tough month. What do I do? Nobody should call to say sorry. That was what she said. So now, uh, I couldn't say sorry. <laughs> I couldn't console. Okay, honey, I believe with you. What do you do? You, got to, you have to believe with her. I just believe. But one day, about a month later, I said, look, let's talk. Why will she come back? There's no reason. Absolutely no reason. Also, your faith cannot override her will. 
She is in a place, if you can pray all you want, she's not going to miss. She, look, when people go to heaven, they don't miss us. They're looking out like Hebrews 12, a cloud of witnesses looking down from the banisteries, balconies of heaven. <laughs> They're praying for me to come back. <laughs> come back for what? <laughs> for what? Huh? That body. That body. Everything fell apart. That one. Come back to that. Come back to that life. It, what life? I, I mean, I'm walking the streets of gold. Tell me to come back to death. Where she lived. No. Come back to poverty. No pain in heaven. No poverty in heaven. No, no trouble in heaven. That kingdom come that will be done on earth. As it is in heaven. Come back to work. So I talked and it began to work. She began to break down and she began to cry. And then she realized it and accepted it. And then healing be be began. Until you accept it, healing can start. There's a resurrection of the dead. We are going to reunite. You have someone in your family that passed on. My father passed on. Five years ago, I cried. But I, I had hope. And I still have hope. The day is coming. Some of you would say, when I get to heaven, the first person I'm going to run to is my late father. My late mom. My late uncle. My late brother. My late whatever. But listen to me. They are not late. In actual fact, they went to sleep. And they woke up on the other side. And we shall reunite with them. There's a resurrection. Praise God. So don't despair. Don't lose hope. You see them again. Christianity is the only faith that guarantees where you go. Other faith would say nobody knows if you're good enough, but nobody can be good enough for God. Only Christianity guarantees you close your eyes here. Tell someone guarantee. We crossed from death to life. My, that, that should get someone excited. We crossed from death to life. Now, the last, and I'll close with this, is eternal judgment. Eternal judgment. I want to say eternal judgment. That's the last sixth basic doctrine. Eternal judgment. What's eternal judgment? Whoo, it's huge. But I've got a few minutes. Look at me. Everyone here will be judged. Everyone here will be judged. There are two judgment seats. Number one, the white throne judgment seat of Christ. Everyone that stands before the white throne judgment seat of Christ is going to the lake of fire. As simple as that. 
Number two, the judgment seat at Bema. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, writing to believers, and we shall be judged for the things that we have done on earth. Now, at the judgment seat known as Bema, believers will not be judged for their sin. That's a good place to say praise God. Believers will not be judged for their sin. Why? Because the sin of the believer was judged on the cross of Calvary. The day you accepted the, the gift of salvation, your sin was removed. Did you hear me? Now, is it possible to still sin after salvation? Yes. That's why the provision was made in 1 John chapter 1. I believe it's from verse 7 to verse 9. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we freely admit we have sinned and confess our sin to God, He is faithful and just. The Bible says in the Amplified Version, according to His nature, to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we have fellowship one with another, the blood of Jesus Christ is sung continually cleanses us from all sin. Are you seeing that? So the provision has been made. Now, that does not mean go ahead sinning. Because the Bible says, he that is born of God does not continue sinning because the seed is in him. And because of the seed, he cannot continue sinning. A true believer does not enjoy sin. <laughs> so the day comes when we all stand, all of us. Jesus will judge us. Now, judge us for what? Judge us for the calling and the gifting that he gave us, which we were supposed to fulfill on earth. What you do with your gift on earth will determine the reward you get in heaven. That's a good place to say. Amen. That's why I preach this a lot with passion, especially, um, I do it which in church, but when you come to our African conference, you come to the stu African students conference, these are the kind of things that I like to talk to them about because we're dealing with 19, 20, 21, 22, 25 year old young people that some of them are still standing in the crossroads of life. And as we say to them, and I want to say, I want to say to you that what you're doing may not be the will of God. It may be good, but good is the enemy of the best. Find out the best, stick to it. When you stick to the best plan of God, you may, not, you, you may not enjoy all the stuff that your friends enjoy in the meantime. But the best place to be is the center of the will of God. Amen. When we came to this country, many people thought the best thing to do was to travel to Europe. 
They said this is a stranded zone. They said this is a transit point. Nobody succeeds in Turkey. Success in the eyes of God is not what you cook up. It's what God tells you to do. If you obey God and do that which he told you to do, you're a success. Men may not even rate you. But do you care about what men say? You care about what God says. Can someone shout praise the Lord? You will be judged. How you use your talent. Some of you have musical skill. But you rather give it to the world than give it to the Lord who gave it to you. Many of the musicians you see, and praise God for their hard work. And I, I am a big, big, big believer, preacher in hard work. I mix the spiritual and the natural in a good way. Hard work pays off. Don't sit around and be lazy. If you've got, you got skill, be productive with your skill. If you, if you want to play music, give, give yourself to it. Come on now, say amen. amen. God has given you something. Give, give yourself. Breathe it. Leave it. Sleep it. Eat it. I, I'm, look, you've got to make up your mind. I made up my, I'm, not go, I'm not going to be an average preacher. Amen. No, no, no. No, I, I, it's a decision. By the grace of God and to God. But I say to challenge you not because I want to show anything pridefully. Any platform in the world, the Lord will use me to deliver. I, I chose not to be average. I chose not to, I chose to speak well. It's a choice. I, it's a choice. I chose to speak well. I chose to speak clearly. I'm not going to speak like a, a Nigerian man from a village. It's not going to happen. It won't happen. I chose to speak well. People need to understand what I'm saying. God would not help me with that. I have to help myself with that. Amen. I have to read. I have to apply myself. I have to pronounce well. I learn how things are said. I learn how things are pronounced. I learn what even the crowd that I preach to. I know the crowd. So I learn all the words, different words. There's American words, there's the British word. I was working with Pastor Corey one day here in the office. We were doing some technical stuff, physical lifting and just doing some stuff. We had the toolbox. So he said to me, Pastor Godwell, give me the range. I said, what? <laughs> he said, give me the range. I said, what's the range? So I, that, that one. So I got to it. I picked it up. I said, oh, you mean a spanner? He said, he, he also said what is a spanner? That's British English. <laughs> Yours is American English. This one is British English. So the British call it, call it a spanner. The Americans call it a wrench. I began to learn all this stuff. The trunk, the booth, the wheel, the steering. I began to learn. So when you begin to minister to people, you know the crowd. You know the people you're talking to. So you're not dumb. You're not speaking to people and they don't know what you're talking about. What's that man talking about? You have to apply yourself. There is a natural side of life to succeed. 
until your product is appreciated. Nobody will pay for it. Refine your gift. Refine your ability. Or else you're just going to work a job the rest of your life. You work a job, you get a salary. Americans call it paycheck. I learned that one too. <laughs> but you work the work. You get a fee. Not a salary. Somebody will get that next week. I study. I, man of God, I even go back and listen to my messages. Listen to the things I said. How to refine myself. Be better. But we, we, we want to stay in church. I receive it. I receive it. You know, every prophecy has a condition to it. You don't receive because you shout, I receive Praise God for faith to receive. Amen. But after you have received, which is great, you work it. Tell three people you work it. You work it. You can't, listen, you, you won't read and be, and be dumb. When you read, you will be smart. When you read, you will be intelligent. I, it's a guarantee. Because the brain is like muscles. The more you study, the stronger they get. Your retention for the things you study becomes better. Read over again. Over. Read it. I read it last week. Don't matter. Read it again. What's YouTube used for today? People use YouTube for all kinds of stupid things. But there are things. You know today, you don't necessarily... I, I, I believe, you, if you want to go to university, praise God. Go get your master's degree. Go get your doctorate. Get your double doctorate. Get whatever you want to get. But I truly believe you can be educated without going through university. It's a possibility. University don't guarantee food on your table, by the way. There are many university graduates that can't even feed. You, you try to go get a job, they ask you, they tell you that you went to university to learn how to learn. I'm kind of touching some, some stuff here with dealing with, is this helping anybody? Because yeah. these are things that God will judge you for. He gave you a gift. Did you, are you going to hide it, keep it somewhere? Just look at the secular musicians. Hey, the work. Look at the secular businessmen. The work. I did a study. I was doing a study of this wealthy, multi-millionaires. Most of them I studied slept four, five hours a day. The most. Christian, <laughs> Christian, <laughs> pastor, 
No job. No job. That's why I'm sleeping. Sleep. Keep sleeping. You would sleep. Anyway, let me not say that. Keep sleeping. Some people will sleep and they wake up. 20 years have gone by. Still sleeping. 20 years. Still sleeping. 50. Still sleeping. Then you realize you slept away. You slept away your life. The Bible says that some people, their belly has become their God. You can say that's food, but in actual fact, if you want to expound on that, you can just say, it's just the flesh. The flesh holds them down, keeps them down. They can't, they can't utilize their ability and skill. Keep sleeping. Keep sleeping. Keep sleeping. No, tell somebody, wake up. <laughs> Some of you are calling to the marketplace. You, you call to be a businessman, businesswoman. God's going to raise you up as a millionaire. Okay, thank you for a few amens. God's going to raise you up as a millionaire. So God's going to raise some of, your, some of you up as, a multi, as multi-millionaires. Amen. You will be raised up. Some of you are still working a job. Your job has buried your work. Your job has buried your work. Your work is that thing God placed you on earth to do. Your job is the one that's, that's taking your time now. Take the risk. Break out of your job. Get into your work. You will not die. Take the risk. Get out of your job. Get into your work. You will not die. It might take five years. But when people come see you five years later. Get out of your job. Get into your work. Get into your work. When you get into your work, you're going to work for no man. If you're working your job, you're going to work for somebody. Get into your work. You will work for nobody. And your God will be your direct boss. This is challenging someone here today. Because the day you stand before Jesus, he will ask you, I placed you on earth for this purpose. Give me an account. You say, um, 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 no account. I was sleeping. No account. I was working a job in Osmanbe. No. Yeah. And, and please, don't, please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong to work a job. But make sure your job does not bury your work. As you work a job, use that as a transition to your work. Praise God. Did that help anybody today?